listening to Connection Church's podcast. Oh, good morning. When I was backstage, I felt like what the Lord was really speaking into my heart is that I died for more than this. And I was thinking like, what, is, what do you mean, God? And I really feel like what the Lord was speaking to my heart was that I died for more than sheetrock. I died for more than pain. I died for more than lights. I died for more. And what he died for was people. What he gave his life for was you and I. What he was willing to go to the cross for was us. And see, I was thinking about that and I was thinking about the power of the one God, this single God, this this God who has given his very best for us. I was thinking about this God who gave his one and only son for us. I was thinking about the power of that one God, the one father, the son, the spirit. And what happens when God puts his spirit into people who realize that Jesus died for more, but into people who realize. And see, when he does that with one person, he begins to change the atmosphere around that person. But when he begins to do it with more than one person and he begins to bring those people together and he begins to bind them together, heart and soul, it becomes exponential to where God begins to do great things. God begins to do greater things. We begin to see God move in ways that changes communities, that changes entire areas and begins to change and shape the entire world. Because this is what I believe with all my heart, church, that we were called to be a church that goes into the community, that goes into the world and brings change. We were called to be a church that has has come to proclaim the gospel and proclaim truth claim the truth of Christ and his love for all and the fact that he did die for more. The Bible says that he comes to give life and give it abundantly. And we've seen people taking next steps this morning at nine o'clock. It was incredible. We saw people go in and, and, and for prayer and we saw God begin to heal people of things that they've been carrying around. And that's a God we serve, a God who is faithful. And I believe this with all my heart. God hasn't called us to settle in some building with sheetrock and paint and lights as great and awesome as it is. But God's called us to continue to go and to carry this message to a hurting world. This message of hope, this message of redemption, this message that God has given his best so that we could be set free from sin, death, hell, the grave, and Satan himself. Prayer, my prayer for you today is that you realize this is not by accident that you're here, but you're here by divine appointment. If you knew all the things that had to happen in order for us to be able to meet in here this Sunday, just in the last five days, six days, you realize it's a miracle that we're here today and that God has something planned for you. So let's pray and let's ask God to do what it is he desires to do in our hearts. Let's open our hearts to receive what he has for us today. God, we thank you so much for your love and grace. We thank you for the power of Jesus that has overcome sin, hell, the grave, that's overcome even our own flesh and our own desires. God, we thank you for that. I ask that you would just anoint your word just just as it is, the living word of God. We give you all the praise and glory because we are here gathered under one name and that is the name of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys have a seat. It's pretty cool, right? Pretty cool stuff, man. God's been moving in this place. It's awesome to know that even though we switched locations, God didn't get confused and go to the high school. He's been here all morning. 
And uh, he's been, been moving and doing things, man. He's been moving in my heart. He's moved in a lot of people's hearts. And, and I don't want to over-dramatize this, but I just want to tell you, God's been doing some serious business this morning. And it's been good to see. Speaking of seeing, I can see all of you now. So if you go to sleep, I'll know. I've got Skittles. If you prop your head back and you open your mouth and go to sleep, I'm going to wring your mouth with a Skittle and try to choke you, slap to death, right? I'll let you go meet Jesus. I'm kidding, but sort of. And, uh, but anyway, today, if you have your Bible, uh, you can turn to 1 Samuel chapter 13. Uh, there's some verses in here that have become very near and dear to the heart of our church. I've, I've preached these verses more than once, but I feel like the Lord's shown me some new things in this that I really want to share with you today because I believe that um, God has given us great victory in Christ, but the reality of it is that we still are faced with a journey. Um, and God gives this great victory, you're going to see to these people, the Israelites, um, in a very different way than what we would think. But isn't it just like God to do something a little different than what we think? And he gives them this victory, this great victory, um, through a man by the name of Jonathan. And these, this text we're going to read really shows us the difference in one man named Saul and another man named Jonathan. And Jonathan is the son of Saul. Saul was the first king of Israel, the Jewish people, God's chosen people. Um, and so he, he was the first king. Saul never really did a whole lot in, as king. But the thing I would tell you, uh, Jonathan did great things. We're going to see that they were both resourced the same. The Bible says that they both had a sword. But we see that there's two types of people in the world. One of them is the person who um, really just sits on the resources that God's given him, the abilities that God's given him. And the other is the one who realizes that God is faithful, as you've heard throughout this service today, and begins to move. Because this is what I want you to walk away with today. I want you to hear, I want you to see, I want you to know that God does great things when we act on his faithfulness. When we act on his faithfulness, he does great things. When we realize, in other words, that God is faithful, that God will do everything he's promised, and we begin to move and act and take steps of faith, take those next steps, believing that God is going to do something in our lives, we become obedient to follow, then God begins to do great things. We see it all throughout scripture. We see it all throughout um, just the, the Bible as a whole. When people were willing to take God at his word and begin to move, God began to move and God did great things. So God does great things when we begin to take steps of faith, knowing that God is faithful and we act on that faithfulness. Amen. So first Samuel chapter 13, we're going to begin reading in verse 16. We're going to go through part of 14. Um, so Saul and, and Jonathan are both, um, Israelites, but they're in this battle with the Philistines, um, the people that had, have plagued the Jewish people for, for years and thousands and thousands of years. And they're in this battle with them. Um, we, not unlike the Israelites, are in our own battle. The difference is our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is against uh, many times ourselves. How many of you know that we ourselves can be our own worst enemy? Amen. Uh, and then there's also the battle of sin that goes on. Um, there's this thing called death that so far has taken everybody out. Um, you, people are like, are you afraid of dying? I'm like, well, nobody's messed it up yet. You know, I mean, everybody's been able to succeed. Um, so it's like we got that battle and then we've got the one who stands behind all of that, Satan himself, and we've got that battle going on. And so there is a battle taking place. I want you to see um, how faithful God is to bring us through the battle, how faithful God is to give us the victory um, that Jesus has already won for us, that no matter what, God is going to do his part. The Bible says that even when we become un 
unfaithful, God is faithful. He still does what he said he's going to do. And so I want you to see this. I want you to hear this. We're going to read verses 16 through 18. Then I want to just pray again and ask God to let this word really speak to our heart. It says in verse 16, Saul and his son Jonathan and the men with them were staying in Gabeah in Benjamin while the Philistines camped at Michmash. Raiding parties went out from the Philistine camp in three detachments. One turned toward Ophrah in the vicinity of Shual. Another toward Beth Horon. Everybody say that, Horon, Horon. I don't know if that's how you say it, it just seems fun. Um, and the third toward the borderland overlooking the valley of Zeboam facing the desert. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word that it is living and active. Let it be powerful. Let it cut deep into our heart, deep into our soul, deep into our spirit and reveal things to us, God. Bring us to wholeness. Bring us I mean, into healing. Bring us into the abundant life you've promised for us, God. And God, whether our circumstances change or not, I thank you that you change us in those circumstances. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, how many of you were with us at the Blue Building? I'm just curious. How many of you went to the Blue Building? There's a lot of hands, a lot of hands, a lot of hands. It's awesome. Um, and we were at the Blue Building. One of the things, you heard some of the things people remembered about the journey of the last six years. One of the things I remember about the journey is that when we were um, first starting out, we had this, this small stage um, in the corner of uh, on one end of this little bitty room. And I remember, the, and just, I was reminded of this by a Facebook picture last night. And I remember um, Bethany, who was singing over here uh, the, today, she was actually singing um, on that day and the, the, the picture was taken and she was standing over, she was also pregnant in that picture. So um, she and Sean need to slow the roll just a little bit, but um, always pregnant. But anyway, um, yeah, anyway, she was over there. Dana Russett was in the middle and then there was a screen right here and I could barely see Luke Russett standing behind. Luke was playing the electric guitar. And one of the things I remember that was so funny is the screen hung down in front of Luke and there was nowhere else for him to go because the stage was so little, but you could just see Luke's legs moving where he's dancing behind the screen. You know, you see his feet just bouncing right up and down. And, and I remember that like it was yesterday. And, and I remember seeing um, just, just uh, people begin to come. And I, and I remember seeing people um, being ministered to. I remember all of that stuff taking place. And, and it's so awesome to see the faithfulness of God, to see that when we do act on his faithfulness, he begins to do great things. Um, Jonathan in this text begins to recognize this. He understands that God does great things, that he is faithful and he begins to move. Um, when we look at this, I want you to understand um, that as we battle our enemy, there are some things that are going to come against us. In the text that we just read, if you're going to take notes, you can write this down first. But in the text we just read in verse 17, it says, raiding parties went out from the Philistine camps in three detachments. See, the Philistines at this point had a lot of people. So the first obstacle that had to be overcome, if God was going to give the Israelites this victory that he had promised, um, if God was going to do something great, there was the obstacle of uh, being outnumbered. And so militarily, uh, the Israelites were in a place where uh, they were at a great disadvantage. These Philistines had enough men, they were sending them out all over the place. The Bible tells us that the Israelites at this time had about 600. And so they were at a military disadvantage. The odds were against them in other words. But think about this, people, think about this. Aren't you glad that God's faithfulness isn't dependent on the odds? 
How many of us would have been in big trouble if God's faithfulness was dependent on the odds? How many of us would have been counted out long ago if, if we were dependent on the odds? How many of us would have been given up on long ago? How many of us would have given up on our marriage long ago if, if it was about the odds because the odds were stacked against us? Um, but see, Jesus took on all of those odds. The odds were not that a carpenter from Nazareth could save the world, but what people didn't realize is he was not just a carpenter. He was no ordinary carpenter. He was the son of God. And he took all those odds and he defeated them when he went to the cross and died for us. When we started this church, um, the odds were against us that we would even make it. All we knew is God put it in our hearts to do it and we began to do it. Not only were the odds against us, but there were people against us. There were things that came against us early on that really threatened us. The odds were stacked against us. There were people who said that uh, I would have written letters to other churches trying to recruit church members. Never did that, never will do that. Because if God's not moving and drawing people, then why the heck are we having church, right? And so we, we need to see, I, I, I was accused of being a heretic. I was preaching all this stuff that wasn't in the Bible, but all I did was open my Bible and talk about what was in the Bible. Uh, so I was accused of all these things. One of the most hurtful ones was my dad had been in a bad motorcycle wreck and, and people began to say, well, you know, if he can't even take care of his own father, how's he gonna take care of a church? Not even knowing me and my relationship with my dad. And so the thing I want you to see is many times the odds are stacked against us. But the good news is that the faithfulness of God is not dependent upon the circumstances. Faithfulness of God is dependent upon the God who is bigger than the circumstances that we face. And so I don't know what you're facing today, but I do know this. I know that God is bigger. I can't say I feel what you feel. I know what you know. I've, I've experienced what you've experienced because I probably haven't. But the thing I can tell you is I've got my own junk but God is faithful and God's brought me through many, many things. I'm gonna get a quick timeout because I want you to know if I get distracted, it's because of these screens. And then I'm having to get used to people looking at the screens because then I start wondering like, what are they looking at? <laughs> are, is it that bad? They can't even listen? And then I realize, oh, there I am. <laughs> and there I am and there I am and there. I I don't even know what to do. There's five of me. Susan is gonna have a fit, now there's five of us. There's eight kids in the house now. Oh boy. But anyway, the first obstacle, they were outnumbered, but God's faithfulness wasn't dependent on the odds. The second thing, listen to verses 19 through 21. It says, not a blacksmith could be found in the whole land of Israel because the Philistines had said otherwise, the Hebrews will make swords or spears. So there's no blacksmiths um, that they were, they were um, we're gonna see at a very dis big disadvantage being outskilled. So all Israel went down to the Philistines to have their plowshares, mattocks, axes, and sickles sharpened. The price was two thirds of a shekel for sharpening plowshares and mattocks and a third of a shekel for sharpening forks and axes and for repointing goads. Why is that important? Because they couldn't make weapons. They were outskilled. They had no blacksmith. So in many ways, I look at the church and I've realized we're outskilled in many ways. We'll never out-talent the world, but the reality of it is we're not called to be more skilled than the world. We're called to depend on one who has the power to do and what we can't possibly do. The good news is that God's faithfulness is not dependent upon our ability. It's about his ability. It's about what he can do. 
And when we begin to take God at his word and we realize that he is faithful and we begin to take steps of faith and that faith as trusting his faithfulness, God begins to do amazing things. It doesn't mean that it's all pie in the sky easy, but what it does mean is that God begins to work in our lives and begins to change our hearts and begins to change those around us. The third one, verse 22 says, so on the day of the battle, not a soldier with Saul and Jonathan had a sword or spear in his hand. Only Saul and his son Jonathan had them. I told you they were both resourced the same. They both had a sword, but only one makes a difference. There's two types of people, the Sauls and the Jonathans. I want us to be a church of Jonathans. I want us to be a church that takes what we have and leverages it for the kingdom of God so that God can do great things in us and then do great things through us, through the resources that he's given us. As we look at this, the second thing, that, or the third thing I would tell you is that they were out-resourced. They, they, they didn't have everything they needed to win a victory. The reality is, church, we don't have everything we need to win the victory. If we did, Jesus would not have had to die. The only way we have everything we need is because Jesus gives it to us. The only way we have all that we need for the victory, all, all we need for the mission of God, for the kingdom of God is because God imparts it to us. If this church was dependent on the ability, on my ability and the ability of, ability of our staff, we'd be in big trouble. We're not the smartest, we're not the sharpest, but the thing I can tell you, we love Jesus. And our whole philosophy is to love God and to do what he tells us to do, to listen to him and do what he says. And God begins to move because God does great things when we act on his faithfulness. We begin to see that take place. And I'm telling you, you'll see this in your life as you begin to take those steps of faith, take that next step and believe and trust God. See, we'll never out-resource the world. We'll never out-resource. Listen, I'm never, you think about the Super Bowl. Just think about that for a second. I'm never gonna ride in here on a tiger or a lion or whatever that thing was like Katy Perry, right? I'm not gonna be Katy Perry. We're, we're, we're gonna have a hard time outdoing the Super Bowl, right? But the thing that I can tell you is that we don't need the Super Bowl. We don't need tigers and lions and bears and oh my. We don't need all of that stuff. What we need is the power of God. What we need is the spirit of Jesus moving in and among us, changing hearts and bringing people to himself, seeing that God is faithful and God will do all that he's promised to do. It's not about what we have. It's about what God has and about what God's given us through Christ and through giving his spirit as Jesus promised he would give him. So they were outnumbered, they were outresourced, they were outskilled. Um, listen to verse two of chapter 14. It says, Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gabeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron. With him were about 600 men, among whom was Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod. But the key to the ephod is understanding they would wear this when they were seeking God's direction, when they were seeking God's um, leading. And so they're in this place where uh, Saul is now wanting to seek the Lord's guidance. He was a son of Ichabod. So this is Ahijah. Ahijah was a son of Ichabod. That's going to be important. Brother of Ahitub, son of Phinehas, the son of Eli. The Lord's priest in Shiloh, no one was aware that Jonathan had left. Now you have to stay with me for a second to catch the significance of this. But there's three names that are mentioned there. Ichabod, Phinehas, if that's how you say it, and Eli. Ichabod was the son of Phineas' wife, when they found out in previous chapters that the Ark of the Covenant representing the presence of God had been taken captive, the Bible says that um, Phineas' wife was in such trauma that as she was giving birth to Ichabod, she 
actually died. And what happens is when she's giving birth, she names him Ichabod, which means the glory has left Israel. The glory of God has left Israel. So basically what she's saying is the glory's gone. The ark is gone. God's presence has left Israel. When you look at the name of Eli, Eli had some sons, one of them being Phinehas. And when he had these sons, they were wicked. They did wrong things. They, 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 they stole, they slept with women who they weren't married. It was just a lot of stuff going on with these. And Eli never really did anything with them. He never really enforced anything on them. And so um, Eli was representative of God's rejection of him as priest. The whole bottom line of this with those three names and the thing I want you to see and what I want you to understand is this, that basically the Bible is telling us by listing out those people that Saul was a rejected king. So the fourth obstacle that the people had to overcome is they had to overcome the fact that they were being led by an imperfect and rejected king. And so here's the thing I want you to see, I want you to get, because this is huge. God is not okay with us having an imperfect king, so he sent the perfect king, Jesus, to be our true king. Um, we're all imperfect, we're all flawed. Jesus was perfect, he was not flawed, and so he came to be our perfection. And so when we put our faith in him, we run into him for mercy by faith, we trust in his faithfulness, he gives us his righteousness. So we're no longer led by this imperfect king. We're led by a king who is perfect, who loves us perfectly, who sits at the right hand of the Father and makes intercession for us. So even when the haters hate and Satan hates and Satan says things and Satan accuses, you have one, if you're in faith in Christ, who sits by the Father, intercepts all of that junk and says, no, I got this one. This one's mine. And so we're set free. From the power of sin and death, I told you we have an enemy. We have an enemy of sin. We have an enemy of our own flesh. We have an enemy of death and we have the enemy of Satan. Yet at the cross, Jesus overcame every one of those. Jesus defeated everyone. So that in the cross, we see this great victory that God has given us. In the cross, we see what God's done for us, how he set us free. So now we have a perfect king where Saul was imperfect. Verse four, on each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozes and the other Sina. One cliff stood to the north toward Michmash, the other to the south toward Geba. What I want you to see in this is again, something to do with these names. One of the names of the cliff literally meant thorny. Another name of the cliff uh, meant slippery or shiny. So in order just to get to the battle, what they had to do is they had to cross the thorny cliff or the craggy cliff, and then they had to somehow scale the slippery cliff or the shiny cliff. This is just to get to the battle. Who made a tough day, right? And so they're trying to get to the battle. The thing I want you to see the obstacle was that the journey wasn't easy. It was a difficult journey. But see, here's the good news. God's faithfulness is not dependent upon the difficulty in the journey. God is still faithful. See, God doesn't look at obstacles and go, oh my goodness, what are we gonna do? God's never looked at your life and bit his fingernails thinking, how are we gonna work this out? God had it worked out before you were. That's a huge thought. The next time you face something that seems bigger than you, remember that it's not bigger than your God. The next time the circumstances seem overwhelmed, remember that Jesus became overwhelmed on the cross so that you wouldn't have to be overwhelmed in life, but you could take comfort in the spirit of God. So we see this, we see that 
the journey may be difficult. See, the journey for us has been difficult at times. The journey hasn't been easy, but I see God's faithfulness all throughout it. Here we were, a, a new non-denominational church, so everybody already thought we handled snakes and stuff, right? They're in a cult. Here they drink blood. And, you know, I mean, it was all kinds of craziness. I think they got some snakes in there somewhere. We did have a dead squirrel in the pool that was in the back of the blue bin, but that was it. That was the only animals we had in the building, except a snake did get in one time, but it wasn't like we didn't play with it. I killed it because I hate snakes. But here we are, a new church, and people already kind of got their, their feelers out there. They kind of got the, you know, how can we slam them, right? How can we put them down? Feelers out. And, and then we're about four to six months in, somebody steals about two months worth of offering. Woo! I'm, I'm like, or, or two weeks worth, I'm sorry, I made it a little more dramatic than it was. About two weeks worth. And, and, and here's the thing, here we are, already having financial troubles as a new church that's non-denominational that handles snakes, right? Everybody thought we had the thrones in the back, you know, where we sat, like Susan and I sat up there on the thrones, the big hair. It wasn't anything like that. But I knew if that gets out, we're done. But you know what? God's grace brought us through every obstacle that Satan threw at us. God's grace brought us through things. He brought us through. If I were to write a book on church planning, it would be called Don't Do What I Did. But God's grace, because God is faithful, he brought us through. And despite us, he saved hundreds of people. Despite us, he saved, he's, he's led hundreds of people to be baptized, baptized into the name of Jesus. Not because of who we are, but because of who he is. Not because of what we've done, but because of what he did. Not because of our performance on the behalf of God, but on the, because of the performance of God on our behalf. Nothing that we could do could have done this. So that the road might not be easy, the difficulties have come. See, we look at obstacles and we see roadblocks. God looks at obstacles and sees opportunity for his name to be made greater. Because the greater the obstacle, the greater God's glory. Listen to this in verse six. We're gonna read six through 10. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Uncircumcised, one thing it does is it's talking about people who were non-Jews, they were uncircumcised, but it's also a reminder of the covenant and the promise and God's faithfulness to the Jews. Perhaps, he says, that's a big word. Everybody say perhaps. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing, everybody say nothing, can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead, I'm with you, heart and soul. Jonathan said, come then, we will cross over toward the men and let them see us. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. And so in other words, Jonathan, based off of a perhaps, says, let's go risk our lives and see if we can't take these Philistines down. And we read the Bible as black words on a white page, but you know, it wasn't that simple. There had to be some butterflies swirling around. There had to be some thoughts in there going, man, I hope this works. It wasn't just quite that easy. But the obstacle that they had to face is they had to face great uncertainty. 
They didn't know for sure what was gonna happen, but what they did know is that God is faithful and it may not turn out the way we want it to, but the thing that we do know is that it will turn out for God's glory and for our good. And ultimately they began to take a step of faith and began to move. See, in the face of uncertainty, we, we continue to walk. I talked with a, a lady after the service at nine. She was going through some stuff and she was struggling with just some worries and concerns about um, her family because someone had passed away and she was struggling with doubt and wondering about what is God doing? First of all, I said, I'm with you on that, been there. Second of all, I said, you know what? I don't believe great faith is the absence of doubt. I believe it's continuing to do what you know is true and what you know is right, even when doubts begin to try to come into your mind. So uncertainty doesn't mean that somehow we don't have great faith. Uncertainty just means that we need to push through in faith, knowing that God is faithful and knowing that God does great things when we begin to act on his faithfulness. He begins to move. He begins to respond to that act of faith and begins to do great things. The Bible says there, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving. Nothing can hinder. See, that gives me courage to stand up and begin to talk to you about what the Bible says because it means that no matter what God is able to save, no matter if it's the best message I've ever preached, no matter if it's the worst message I've ever preached, there are some days we stand up here or I'll stand up here and I'll preach a message and I'll be like, bam, spike the Bible, walk off stage. Bam, right? And nothing happens. And then there's days and I'm like, I'm not coming back next week. Not gonna do it. And all of a sudden people start pouring out for prayer and people start coming to the front and people are getting saved. One day I almost didn't even give a salvation altar call because I felt like the message was so bad. And when I did, there were like five people that stood up. I was like, thank God I didn't just go off of my emotions and my feelings. They just trust in the word of God. God does great things when we begin to act on his faithfulness, when we begin to trust him, when we're passionately pursuing him. There's one more verse I wanna pull out of this section. It's verse seven. It says, do all that you have in mind his own reverse said, go ahead, I'm with you, heart and soul. Because see, here's the thing I want you to see, I want you to get, I want you to understand, is that when we begin to go and the odds are against us, when we begin to go and we're, we're, we don't feel like we have the ability, we begin to go, we don't feel like we have everything we need, we begin to go and, and the journey gets rough um, and when an uncertainty comes. Here's what God does. He did this for Jonathan and he does this for us. When we're in the kingdom of God and we begin to pursue him, we begin to passionately go after him. This is what God does. God ends up surrounding you with people to run with. And this, this, this armor bearer says, I'm with you heart and soul. I'm gonna run with you no matter what. And see, in my life, I've seen this to be true. If you've been pursuing God, I'm, I guarantee you, you've seen this, that God brings people alongside of you to run with you, almost like a champion to encourage you, to move you on. I, I, one of these that God gave me was through an unlikely source, or all of them are unlikely sources. One of them came through working in the roofing industry for 10 years, so that he gave me an armor bearer, somebody that could encourage me, somebody that would run with me, so that when I'm ready to throw up my hands and say, the heck with this, he says, no, you keep doing what God's called you to do. Another one came, and I have to explain this, but through beer and, and wives. There, let's pray and go home. But, but it came through one because he was my drinking buddy and we ended up marrying sisters. And now he's an armor bearer. He fights beside me, he fights with me. Another one came through marriage counseling. The the, the, in our marriage, the train wasn't completely off the tracks, but it needed some maintenance. 
And so we went and we started getting marriage counseling. Why this guy likes me, I don't know because he knows all my junk, right? We went to marriage counseling, you know what I found out? It's me, it's me, like I'm the problem. We'd be sitting there and I'm, I'm <laughs> just crying my eyes out and Susan and, and, and he are just sitting there, both of them going, it's gonna be all right. <laughs> what are you, I hear what you're saying, but what are you, what are you really feeling? <laughs> it was me. And, and, and he surrounded me. He surrounded me with a staff of people to run with. These people work so hard, not because of the big bucks that they don't get, but because of their love for Jesus and their love for you and they work hard. He surrounded us with people who were heart and soul about the vision and the mission of God, not about Connection Church, about the mission of Jesus. And now we're locked arm in arm, running together, like, like people who are willing to just storm hell with water pistols. Can you imagine? But let's go, let's go. And so we see that God calls people to be together who are heart and soul with one another. Listen to verses 13, I'm sorry, 11 through 14. It says, so both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. If this was a movie, like this is when that really intense music starts playing, because this is that moment where it's really about to happen. It says, look, said the Philistine, the Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. See, they're taking this a little too lightly. They don't realize that these people, um, Jonathan and his armor bearer have this God. Isn't it interesting, by the way, just a little side note that the armor bearer's name's never given. Sometimes we think that the things we do that are so significant are very insignificant. But many times God uses them. We still read about this man today. And so his armor bearer and Jonathan go and they begin to climb up this mountain. It says, so Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet. That's important. Using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about half an acre. Those are some bad dudes, right? They begin to fight, but I want you to, I want to draw your attention back to verse 13. And it says that they were using their hands and their feet climbing up this cliff. What did that do? It put them in a vulnerable position. It put them in a position of weakness. But see, God had a plan and God is faithful. So God continued to do what only God could do. He used them and we're gonna see that he ends up causing this panic in the Israelite camp and they began to go crazy. They began to kill each other and he gives them a great victory. But they were in a position of weakness. How many of you today would find yourself in somewhat of a position of weakness? You don't have to raise your hand, but I'm telling you, there are a lot of people in here today who find yourself in a position of weakness where there's something in you. You just don't know if I can continue. There's something going on. I just don't know if I'm going to continue to make it. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what God's doing even. Or maybe you're even mad at God, but you're in this position of weakness, wondering what's going on, what's going to happen. I don't know if I can take another step. I don't know if I can keep going. I don't know if I can face them again. I don't know if I can face that situation anymore. And we find ourselves in this place. I don't know if I can deal with this sin anymore. I don't know if I can deal with this addiction any longer. It's just got me to the end of my rope. And I will tell you this, that I know about being at the end of the rope because I was there about two years ago. 
I never shared this with anybody as much as I'm about to share it with you now until this morning at nine o'clock. I was waiting to share it and I'm gonna share it with you now because I feel like today's the day. But about two years ago, I was at the end of my rope. I was burnt out, I was done. I was about to become a statistic, one of the nine out of 10 pastors who go into ministry and don't make it. And then I realized like I'm, I'm, I'm done. I even had somebody call and wanted to give me an award. And they said, we'd like to honor you with this award for the work you've done through Connection Church. I said, no, thank you. They're like, well, we've never had anybody turn us down. I said, I'm sorry, but I'm not taking it. And I told them, I said, I don't think I can take it with the right heart. But the truth of the matter was, I didn't think I'd be doing this anymore a month later. I was at the end of my rope. When I say I was at the end of my rope, I mean the end of the rope. All of my insecurity had eaten me up. That insecurity had turned into anxiety. I've been wrestling with it for all of my life, but it had intensified to a, 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 just a, a horrible state in my life where the anxiety was killing me. And then I've never shared this until this morning, but it put me into a depression. A depression. Pastor of a church, depressed. And see, a lot of you probably don't even believe that that's a thing. I can tell you it's real. Because I've struggled with it. I struggle with it now. And I got to the end of myself. See, here's the crazy thing about it. I had three great kids, a great wife. He's been my greatest armor bearer. He's always there to encourage me, the one that I may stand up here and talk big, but she's the one that's this rock at home. A great wife, great kids, great ministry. God's doing great things. Pat's on the back. Go get on that a boy. Way to go. Good job. Roof over my head, food on the table. I didn't care if I lived or died. In fact, I didn't say this in the first service because it was a little uncomfortable with my mom on the front row. There were days I thought about ending it myself. See, I can't say that as a pastor, right? You wanna talk about awkward, walk into a psychiatrist's office as a pastor of one of the larger churches in the area because a pastor can't have problems. But I was almost done. Almost three. Started getting help. I'm gonna be honest with you, you can like it or you don't have to like it. I have to take medicine every day. A handful. I'm not talking about cutting a little pill in half. I'm talking about enough to kill a mule. And for a long time, I carried a lot of guilt for that. See, I know there's some of you in here because you think being a Christian, you gotta have it all together. That's bull crap. The reality of it is, if you can't handle people who are messed up, you're in the wrong church. If you can't handle people who are as messed up as I am and, and even worse, which is saying a lot, then this is the wrong place. That's why God put us here. 
and I take a handful of pills. I, 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 I didn't know what else to do. I have a great psychiatrist. I think if I filled his calendar up with recommendations. I go see, still believe God can heal me. But I know how he's healing me right now. See, I had to take that step. I had to begin to walk that out in faith, knowing that God is faithful. See, I've wanted to share that for a long time because I know there are people here that you struggle with the same thing. Either you've been unwilling to go get help for whatever it is, because you thought a Christian is not supposed to have problems. The only problem with that is the Bible. Every person in scripture was messed up. Some of you are feeling guilty because you have to take pills, you have to take something for it. And some of you need to hush because you're making fun of people who do have to take something for it. You think it doesn't exist. I had somebody tell me, why don't you just pull yourself up by the bootstraps? I was about to say, why don't you just pull yourself up off the floor? Because it's real. So there's guilt, there's shame, there's all of these emotions involved. Some of you are here in church today and it's hard for you even to come to church because of the shame you feel for things in your past. I'm telling you, church is not for the perfect people. Jesus said it himself that he didn't come for those who were perfect, those who were righteous. He came for those who were sick. And I have a savior who loves me for me. Who loves me because he loves me. And by faith, as imperfect as I am, I have been made perfect in Him. I was reading this text and it goes on and it says that there was a panic sent by God. They began to kill each other. We're gonna see that in a second. But in verse 20, it says, then Saul and all his men assembled and went to the battle. They found the Philistines in total confusion, striking each other with their swords. And listen to this, it says, those Hebrews who had previously been with the Philistines and had gone up with them to their camp went over to the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. Basically what happened is when people began to be, uh, they began to be oppressed, they began to be um, controlled by the Philistines, some of them defected and went over to the Philistines. And it says that these people began to come back to the Israelites. What I wanna encourage you with is there's some people here today who at some point you made a decision that I'm gonna leave this camp, I'm gonna leave my father, like the prodigal son, you left that camp and you went over into this camp and you began to meddle in the wrong camp. And now you find yourself in an overwhelming situation or you find yourself in the wrong place, you find yourself addicted to something, you find yourself um, in this place where you're held and bound by sin. And what God would be saying today is, come back to the right camp. Leave that and come here. In other words, repent of that, turn from that and come here. I'm Listen, I know that that doesn't fix everything, but that's the first step. That's the first step. Listen to this. It says in verse 21, 
Number 22, when all the Israelites who had hidden in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were on the run, they joined the battle in hot pursuit. When I read that, I got so excited. I was like, here are these people who are hiding, these people who their, their joy in the mission, these people who their, their fire for the mission of God had grown cold. And yet when they began to see the victory and they began to see what God was doing, it says they began to come out of hiding and they began to pursue. In fact, it says they were in hot pursuit. Made me think of the Duke boys. And they were in hot pursuit, pursuing, going into the mission of God, moving into the mission of God. And, and, and that's what I know, where I know a lot of people are today. At one point, you had a great passion for God. You had a great passion for his kingdom. But at some point, it became about the do's and the don'ts rather than the relationship with Christ. And now there's this coldness, this void in your life. And God would be saying to you today, why don't you come to me for a refreshing? Why don't you come? Let's let me set your heart on fire and so you can pursue this mission with everything that's in you. Let me set your heart on fire and refresh you. The Bible says that if we'll come and we'll repent to God, if we'll turn to God, the times of refreshing will come. But we've got to be willing to turn. We've got to be willing to ask. We've got to be willing to take that step. Verse 23 says, so the Lord rescued Israel that day and the battle moved on beyond Bethavim. So the battle began to move on. It began to grow. They began to really defeat these Philistines, but it was because the Lord rescued them. See, there's another group of people here today who where you're at is you've never really trusted Jesus as your savior. You've never been rescued because that's why God sent his son was to rescue us, to deliver us. All of those things, our flesh, sin, death, all of that stuff that Jesus went to the cross for. That's why he went. That's why he died. That's why he was buried. That's why he rose again, was to defeat all of those things, to rescue us out of the hand of Satan, to rescue us out of the grip of sin and death so that we could be set free, so that we can know life, so that we can experience abundant life. That's what God sent his son to the cross to do, is to give us that life. The question would be, have you been rescued? Have you said yes to this invitation? Have you said yes to Jesus? Have you, have you, Come into his kingdom? Have you been taken from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light by faith in Christ? Not by what you do, not by your works, but by simply saying yes to Jesus. Because when you say yes to Jesus, the God who sent his son sends his spirit into you, gives you a new heart, and you begin to live a different way. We've had it backwards for far too long. For far too long, we've told people, clean up your junk and then come to Christ. When Jesus just says, bring me all your junk and I'll clean it up for you. If we could clean ourselves up, there's no reason for Jesus to go to the cross. But he did because we're imperfect people who need a perfect savior. And so today, listen, I just believe that there's steps of faith. Remember when we act on God's faithfulness, he does great things. The first step in healing many times is to just say, God, I need healing. God, I need wholeness. And to begin to take that step, I always tell our staff, it's easier to steer a boat that's moving than one that's sitting still. It does no good to turn the steering wheel if you're not moving. Begin to take a step of faith. For some of us today, the first step of faith is gonna be in just a second when I give you this opportunity to go and receive prayer. If that's the step that God's calling you to, then do that. I don't know if you're here and your heart's cold and you used to have a passion for God, I don't know if you're here and, and, and you've been just living in the wrong camp. I don't know if you're here and you struggle with depression or you struggle with something else. 
It's with an addiction, with pornography. I don't know, but I know many times the first step and most times the first step is to go and to let somebody pray with you and let somebody walk through this with you. I don't know, maybe today you have never been rescued. You never said yes to Jesus as Savior, but today's the day and you say yes to Him. Let's do that. About what I'm gonna do because I just want this to be a personal time for you. I wanna ask you to close your eyes. I wanna ask you to bow your heads. But today, you know, your next step is to, to get help, to, to take that step of faith and go get prayer. So I wanna ask you that question. If you're here today, you know, maybe your heart's cold. Maybe it's today's the day of salvation for rescue. Maybe today's the day that you finally repent of that thing that's holding you back in your relationship with God and you go and get prayer. Whatever that is, I'm gonna ask you right now if you move, if you would get out of your seat and begin to move. I saw people doing this all morning at nine, it was incredible. There were people still praying after nine o'clock when I came out here for 11. So you know, listen, your heart's beating 100 miles an hour, you know that you're supposed to move ask you to get up right now and you can begin to move to my right your left there are people there to greet you our prayer team's there to walk with you to pray with you to minister to you to encourage you so if that's you I'm gonna ask you to get up and go bowed, not closed. I want to ask this question. You're struggling right now. And you've, you've got to struggle with depression. You carry guilt and shame and condemnation with that. And today you need prayer. I'm going to ask you with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you raise your hand? Amen. Stick your hands up. Amen. You can push, put them down. You struggle with an addiction right now. You know you struggle with an addiction. It's killing you. I don't know if it's pornography or drugs. Put your hand up. Would you raise your hand? Amen. Amen. This is what I'm going to do. Because this, listen, 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 listen. There are people here today, and I know I'm pressing on this more than I normally do, but there are people here today who need to take their next step of faith. Trust God. When I pray, I'm gonna ask you to get out of your seat and go pray. You don't have to, I'm not gonna pressure you, but I'm telling you, take that step of faith. I'm gonna pray and you move. Jesus, I thank you for your love and grace, your mercy in our lives, that you heal us, you make us whole, Jesus. Just begin to move in people's hearts, move in our lives, Lord. We love you and thank you for loving us. God, you are so good to us. Give us courage to take that step, Lord. Give us courage to seek out help. Because God, we know you're faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.